Thank you for joining us for this sermon. We are currently in a foundational series here at Hope called The Life of a Jesus Follower. As we make our way through this sermon series, we want to come alongside you and your family. That is why we launched JesusFollower.com. This website is full of helpful resources for you and your family. Before we get to the sermon, we just wanna make you aware of a couple things. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Enjoy the message. I was born in 1971. Now, I've, I've been saying that all day today, and it's funny, you get a reaction. Some people are like, man, you're young enough to be my son. And other people, man, you're old enough to be my dad. But I was born in 1971, so I grew up in the 70s. And the 70s was really a, an era in the United States that was dominated by tension. It was tense because we were in the midst of what was called the Cold War with the Soviet Union. And what made tension so high in America in the 70s was the constant threat of nuclear war. In response to that threat, the United States of America invested billions of dollars into what was called a global positioning system. And it was supposed to allow us to be able to better navigate our submarines. And this was important because precise navigation of our submarines would enable us to get an accurate fix of the position prior to launching our ballistic missiles. As the Cold War came to an end in 1983, then-President Ronald Reagan made an announcement that this global positioning system that had been designed by our Defense Department to protect us in the midst of the Cold War was going to be released for everyday use by average Americans. It became to be known to us as GPS. How did we ever get anywhere without GPS? This amazing technology is now on our smartphones. You can open up your phone and you can open up your Maps app. And because of the global positioning system designed by the Defense Department, you can type in the word pizza. And what will begin to populate all over your screen are little icons with a slice of pizza, and you can touch any one of those icons, and turn by turn, your telephone will tell you exactly how to get there so you can enjoy that warm, hot, cheesy goodness called pizza. I don't know about you, but I think that may be the greatest investment of $12 billion the United States government has ever made. Amen? 
I thank God for GPS. Literally, how did we ever get anywhere before our phones? People say sometimes, man, it's, I can't walk by faith. It's hard to live by faith. No, it's not. You do it every day. You punch in an address to a telephone and listen to a lady you've never met in your life. You don't question her. Let your wife say, turn right here. And you're like, I'm not turning there. Let Siri say it. <laughs> and it's the law, right? My least favorite thing to hear Siri say is this. Proceed to the root. Right? Proceed to the root. And she usually repeats it like that over and over again, right? Because if you're not heading in the right direction, she will tell you to proceed to the root. And then what she usually will do is tell you at the next available moment, would you make a legal what? U-turn, right? You know what that is, right? That's Apple code for the nicest way to say to us, hey, idiot, you are going the wrong way. And if you don't turn around soon, you are never going to get to the address that you put in this telephone. Let me give you a navigational truth. You will never arrive at your desired destination if you are going the wrong way. You can want it. You can feel it. But if you are going the wrong way, you will never arrive at your desired destination. Unfortunately, that's not just true driving our cars around Las Vegas. That, that navigational truth is a spiritual reality. If you are headed in the wrong direction, you're never going to arrive at your desired destination. I'm afraid there are a lot of people who would call themselves Christians who are heading in the wrong direction. We began last weekend to deal with that topic in this series that we've called The Life of a Jesus Follower. Last weekend, I began by asking you two questions. The first one was easy. How many of you desire to faithfully follow Jesus? And overwhelmingly, people all over the room raised their hands, said, that's my desire to faithfully follow Jesus. It's kind of a softball toss. We're at church, right? So assume that's where everybody's kind of living. But then I ask a second question. What does it look like to faithfully follow Jesus? And this is where I'm afraid so many get off track when it comes to following Jesus and what it looks like to following Jesus, to, to follow Jesus. And here's the bottom line. It doesn't matter if you're off a whole lot or just a little bit. Because if you start off in a direction just a little bit off course, you trace that out miles and miles and miles out there, and guess what? You're now way off course. Last weekend, we dug into the Gospels asking this question, what does it look like to faithfully follow Jesus? And we came away with a foundational statement that's really the foundation of this whole series, and here it is, that following Jesus is all about, say it out loud, relationships. The life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. And what we're trying to do in this series is establish a paradigm, a target that lets us lay it down on our lives so we can make sure we're headed in the right direction. And in examining this last weekend, we said that following Jesus is really about three relationships. 
The first one is primary and is the foundation of the other two. But following Jesus is all about three relationships. First, we said it's about a relationship with God. That's the starting point. We're going to dig into that today. Following Jesus is not a religion. Following Jesus is a relationship with the God who made you. And with each of these relationships, I gave you a word. Last week, the word for this relationship was abide. We're to abide in Christ personally and daily. But our relationship with God gives us a second relationship, and that's our relationships with one another. Because we have a relationship with God, we now have a relationship with each other, and we grow in our relationship with God by fellowship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. The word I gave you for this one is connect. We're to connect in community, in large group and small group. And then third is a relationship with people that don't know God at all. Because I have a relationship with Jesus, I now have a relationship with his family. And as I live out that relationship, it spills into relationships with people that don't know God at all so that they can come to know God through our lives. The word for this was share. Abide, connect, and share. Say those three words out loud. Abide, connect, and share. Those are the three relationships that when you look in the Gospels in the New Testament, that's what following Jesus is all about. So what I want to do this morning is ask the question, have we started out in the right direction? And to do that, if you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Mark chapter 3. And while you're turning there, let me just say that this journey that we're on in this seven-week series is more than just a preaching series. So every weekend we are teaching these principles for seven weeks, and I've encouraged you, unless providentially hindered, you just can't be here, make it a priority to be in all seven of these seven weeks in a row. But then secondly, we want you to live this out in small group, in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So as you take notes today, either on the weekly, as you came in, there are notes, a place you can take notes on the weekly, or if you have the Hope Church app, everything that's in the weekly is also in the app, so that you can take notes. And we want you to do that so that when you go to your small group, you can facilitate conversation around what you're hearing in the weekend message and how God is speaking to you. And then finally, we wrote a 42-day devotional guide that we have available out in the Resource Center. If you haven't picked that up yet, let me encourage you to do it. It lets you spend time with God daily around this idea of what it looks like to live out these three relationships. So we want to challenge you to embrace all parts of this journey, weekend messages, small group, going through the devotional guide, letting God use that to deepen these truths in your heart. But I want to start in Mark chapter 3 today, and here's why. This is the place in Scripture where Jesus invited the first people to follow him. So if we want to know what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus, let's go back where it started. Let's read about the first followers of Jesus in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to put it up here on the screen so you can follow along as I read. It says, And he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve. Who's that? Those original twelve disciples. So that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. So let me break this down with three very simple statements. Here's the first one. Being a Jesus follower begins with an invitation. 
Being a Jesus follower begins with an invitation. And I want to kind of build that statement with three additional statements. And here's the first one. Jesus invited them to follow him. When you look at this example, this story in Scripture of Jesus inviting these first followers, we understand that that it began with an invitation, and the invitation was to follow him. In Mark chapter 3, the word that the Bible uses is the word summoned. Jesus summoned them. Now, that's a, a, a verb that's used in the Greek language. If you don't know this, the Bible was not originally written in English. The Bible was written in the first century in, in what was called Koine or Common Greek. It was the language of the day, just the, the, the normal, everyday Greek language. And the Greek language, one of the uniquenesses is that the verbs are loaded with meaning. They're loaded with significance. That verb summoned, where it says Jesus summoned those to himself, is a word that's loaded with relational significance. For example, there's a word in the Greek language called kaleo. That word means to call or to invite. That could have been sufficient had Jesus just wanted to invite them to something in general. But the word that Jesus used is not just the word kaleo. He puts a prefix on it, proskaleo, and it literally means to invite to one's self. It is a personal invitation to a relationship. It means and it stresses that Jesus' invitation was not to a destination. His invitation was to a relationship with a person. The invitation to follow Jesus is not an invitation to participate in religion. Do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, rules and regulations. The invitation to follow Jesus is not an invitation to get involved in church. The invitation to follow Jesus is not an invitation to moral activity or simply trying to be a better person. The invitation to follow Jesus is not even simply an invitation to go to heaven when you die. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to enjoy a relationship with the God who made you through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, what makes heaven heaven, what makes heaven so sweet is it's simply taking the relationship to an entirely new level. But what we've been invited into is a relationship. Now, here's the second statement. Jesus invited them to follow him because he loved them. Go back to Mark chapter 3. Let's look at this verse again. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. It says, He went up on the mountain and summoned. Here's that word, that relational word. He invited them to himself. Those whom he, what does this say? Say it out loud. Did you hear that? He wanted. It's a word that literally means to want, to desire, to purpose. Here's what happened. On that day, Jesus looked at those followers and he said this. I invite you to a relationship with me and here's why because I want a relationship with you now think about that for a minute who were these guys these 12 original disciples they were Jews by birth They'd been born into a Jewish heritage. Meaning this, since the moment they were old enough to talk, 
that their parents and the people around them had been laying the foundation of Hebrew scriptures on their life, the Old Testament. And the Old Testament had told them that, a, that one day a Messiah would come into the world. And what they understood about the Messiah is he was going to be called Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. So since they've been old enough to talk, they've been told the promise that one day God is going to come into the world and he's going to come to save us from our sins and he's going to come as the Messiah. Now here they find themselves on this mountain and here's what they they recognize. Wait a minute. This is the Messiah. This is the one who for centuries has been promised. This is God in the flesh. And God looks at them and he says, I want a relationship with you because I love you. Wow. We're not talking about some political figure or sports hero. We're talking about God. You say, well, that's great for them. What about me? I'm so glad you asked. Let me show you. 1 Timothy chapter 2, look what the Bible says. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Here's what that means. I'm about to tell you something that is so pleasing, so good to God. What is it? He, say that word out loud, I underlined it for you. Say it out loud. That word desires, same Greek word in Mark 3 that's translated wanted. Here's what's good and acceptable in the sight of God. God wants. What does this say? All what? In the Greek, that's a a phrase that literally means every human being. Here's what's good. God wants, God desires, God longs. For every human being to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Here's what that means. It does not matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how dark the road you've been down. It doesn't matter how far down that road you've gotten. God today from his word says to you, I love you, and I want a relationship with you. God. Hey, I'll tell you, it's even greater than that. God wants a relationship with you more than you want a relationship with Him. Let me prove it to you. He loved you before you were you. We don't have time to turn there, but the Bible teaches us that in eternity past, before the world had ever been created, God set His heart on you. Here's what that means. You've not had any opportunity at that point to perform to earn His love. Meaning this, He doesn't love you and me because we're lovable. Amen. He loves us because in His sovereignty, 
He set his heart on us. And the very reason he created us is to know him and love him and be known and loved by him. And we will never know life. We will never know purpose. We'll never know significance apart from a love relationship with the God who made us. But there's a problem. Let me show it to you. Isaiah chapter 59. Look what it says. But your iniquities, that's one of four Hebrew words in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek. That's one of four Hebrew words that communicates sin. This word in particular describes willful wrongdoing. It's knowing what God says and choosing to step across the boundary anyway. The Bible says your sin, your iniquity has made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I knew that. I told you. What do you mean God loves me and wants a relationship with me? I've sinned against God because of my sin. God's not going to ever accept me. And listen, you're right. In our own strength, in our own power, that's why religion is so evil. Because religion says, you just work your way out of this mess you're in and maybe God will accept you. But the Bible says there's nothing I can do. That's bad news. Can I give you the good news? Go back to to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We read it a minute ago. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Look at the very next verse. There is one God and one... Say that word out loud. Oh, you, you know what a mediator is, right? A mediator is somebody who steps in between two people that have gotten at odds with each other. Two people that have gotten separated, where the relationship has gotten broken. The mediator steps in and does what? He brings reconciliation between two people who are now opposed to each other. Because of my sin, I'm separated from God. But God, because in eternity past, he'd set his heart on you. He loved you anyway, so much so that he sent a mediator. A mediator between God and men. Who is that? The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony given at the proper time. Here's what that means. God loved you and me so much that when there was nothing we could do to earn our way back into right standing with God, God sent his son Jesus into this world. God became a man. Jesus stepped in between the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God. And on the cross, the sin of man and the holiness of God met themselves. And Jesus took all of our sin on himself, all of our unrighteousness on himself. And on the cross, Jesus died. But then he rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice so that now, by his grace, when we turn by faith, here's what happens. Jesus reconciles us back to a right relationship with God. We're given what we could not earn on our own. I know what you're thinking. That's too easy. Listen, it's easy because he's already done all the work to make it possible. That's why when Jesus died, he said, it is what? Finished. What's finished? Everything that needed to be done to make us right with God. But here's the third part of this. His invitation had to be accepted. Had to be accepted. Go back to the text. Let me show you. Mark 3. Look what it says. He went up on a mountain, summoned those whom he himself wanted, and what does it say? They 
came to him. He said, man, I love you. I want a relationship with you so much that I've come to die on the cross to redeem you from your sin and usher you into a relationship with God. But here's the deal. God will not force that relationship on anyone. You must accept his invitation. And that's why the Bible says they, they came. <laughs> I love that word. It's a word that means to set off on a journey, meaning this. They didn't just make a decision to become a Christian. They began a new journey with Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life. Following Jesus is not an event that happens at one moment in your life. Following Jesus is a day-by-day relationship with the God who made you. And listen, if you miss this, you miss everything about following Jesus. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who sit in church around America. And maybe it's your testimony. Maybe you're here today because... If I just go to church, maybe God will think better about me. If I go to church, maybe God will be happy with me. If I can just try to be a better person. You ever heard anybody answer the question like this? Are you a Christian? Well, I'm trying. You a Christian? Well, well, I'm working on it. Listen, if you're trying and working on it, you started out in the wrong direction. You can try all you want to try. You'll never get there. You can work all you want to work. You'll never get there. The only way is to receive what he's already done by faith, to turn from our sin and embrace him as our Lord and Savior. And if you miss that, you miss everything. Let me show it to you. This is some of the most alarming verses in the Bible in Matthew chapter 7. Listen to what the Bible says. First word's important, many That's alarming. Many will say to me on that day, what's that day? That day when all that we know is human history comes to an end, when Jesus comes and we're standing before him. Many will say to me on that day, listen to this, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons and did we not perform many miracles you hear it lord didn't we do all the right stuff lord did not go to church every sunday listen you can't hardly get a more spiritual list than this lord did not go to church every sunday lord did not read my bible god did not give my money listen what he said Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. There's a lot of people in our country who have embraced a system of religion trying to earn their way back into a right standing with God. And what Jesus says is, I never knew you. Following Jesus is about an intimate love relationship with God. So before I go on, I need to ask a very important question. Because if you don't get this one right, it doesn't matter what you say about the rest of it. Here's the question. Do you know God personally?
So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your head all over the building. Don't get excited. I'm not done yet. So I'm going to start putting your stuff up. I'm coming back. Just bow your head for a minute. And I'm doing that because I want you to think, and I want you to ponder this question, and I want you to be distracted at all. I want it to be just you and God for a minute. Do you have a relationship with God? And listen, if in your heart you're saying, well, listen, I go to church, I read my Bible. I... No, that's, that's not the question. Have you ever turned from your sin by faith and embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you ever surrendered the control of your life to Him and received a relationship by faith? If you can't say today that you know God personally, here's what I want you to do. Right where you're sitting, if you want to know Him today, I want to lead you in a prayer. Now listen, it's not the words of a prayer that brings salvation. It's faith in Jesus that saves. But we can cry out to Him in prayer. So right where you're sitting... Maybe for the first time in your life, you've realized, man, I got religion, but I don't have a relationship, and you want to receive Christ, just pray this right there in your heart after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you. I know that you love me. I know that you died for me. I know that you rose again. Right now, I turn from my sin I'm ready to stop trying and start trusting in you. I receive you as the Lord and Savior of my life. I accept your invitation to a relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, I want everybody to look this way. Just look this way. Listen. If for the first time in your life you just prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life, you turned from try harder Christianity to receiving Christ. Listen, I want to be the first person to say to you, welcome to the family of God. Welcome. You just beget, God just reconciled you to himself. And here's what that means. There's nothing you have to do today to earn God's favor. You're a loved, accepted child of God based on the finished work of Jesus himself. So here's where we started. Following Jesus begins with an invitation. Let's go to the second thing. Being a Jesus follower is all about intimacy. It's all about intimacy. Say, so what do you mean by that? Well, let me show you. Let's go back to our text, Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. We've been looking so far at verse 13. Look what he said. He went up on a mountain. Some of those whom he himself wanted, he, he invited them to a relationship with himself because he wanted, and they came to him. They received his invitation. Then look what it says. And he appointed 12. He set them apart. Say the next two words out loud. Say it out loud. Say it one more time. Very important word. I know what you're thinking. So what, right? That's what, what, what's, the, what's the deal with so that? Very important. It's two words in English. It's one word in Greek. In Greek, it's the word hina. Here's what it means. Here's the reason why or for this purpose. The Bible says because he loved them, he invited them into relationship with himself. And here's why. 
Don't miss this. So that they would say the next three words out loud. You know how most Christians hear this? So that they would live for him. Okay, I get it. I can't earn my way into a relationship with God. He's given it to me by grace. But now that I've stepped on this side of the relationship, okay, now show me what to do. I'm ready to live for him. I'm ready to obey him. I'm ready to bring him glory. It's the way so many of us hear this. It's the way for the first decade of my Christian journey, I tried to live the Christian life knowing that he gave me the relationship, but I saw the relationship as the starting line. Okay, now I've stepped across that so I can get on to living for Jesus. He did the saving. Now I got to do the living. And that's why a lot of people say, I'm not ready to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior because I'm not sure I can live the Christian life. When I'm convinced I can live that, that's when I'll decide to receive Jesus. Well, guess what? You're never going to receive Jesus because you'll never be able to live the Christian life. I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years, and guess what? I cannot live the Christian life. And that was never his expectation. So that they would, say it again, be with him. Here's the point. The purpose of the Christian life is to be with him. The invitation is to an intimate love relationship with Jesus, meaning this. Following Jesus is not about doing. Following Jesus is about being. That's why I said last weekend, he didn't create human doings. He created human beings. What we do flows out of who we are in Christ. Pastor Vance, are you saying I'm not supposed to live for Jesus or obey Jesus or glorify? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that's not the focus. The focus is being with him. The living, the obeying, the glorifying all happens out of the overflow of simply being with him. And when I first understood this, man, I'm just telling you, it rocked my world. Because for the first time in my Christian life, here's a word I understood. Freedom. I'd never gotten that word before. I didn't feel free. I felt bondage to a system of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, rules and regulations that I could never measure up to no matter how hard I tried. And then I realized that was never his expectation. He invited me to be with him. And here's the, here's the life-changing principle. I want you to see it. The primary call on my life is not to do something for Jesus. The primary call on my life is to be with Jesus. Just to be with him. Here's what that means. The goal is the relationship. We like to think about the relationship like the ABCs of the alphabet. Well, yeah, becoming a Christian, that's the ABCs. Okay, now I've gotten past that. I'm ready to move on to the more difficult stuff of living for Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to hear me say. The relationship with Jesus is the whole alphabet. It's A to Z. It's everything. It's all about the relationship. That's why last weekend we looked at a verse. I'm going to show you again, John 17, 3. Listen to what Jesus said. This is eternal life that they may, what? Know you. 
It's that relationship word. Let me give you what I think may be the simplest summary of the Christian life you'll ever hear. Simplest summary of the Christian life. Right out of this verse. I'll give it to you in two goals. The first goal is what I like to call the overall goal. It's the whole trajectory of my life goal. Here's the first goal. The overall goal is to, say it out loud, to know God. There it is. That's what Jesus just said. This is eternal life that they may know you. The goal, the whole thing is about knowing God, about knowing him intimately, knowing him personally, coming to know him by faith, and then growing in fellowship with God. To know God. That's what Christianity is, to know him personally. So, so then here's the second goal. It's the daily goal. If that's the big picture, what's the daily goal? Here it is. To what? To spend time with God. Listen. That's it. I know some of you, you're waiting on me to tell you the rest of it. That's it. That is Christianity, to know God and daily to spend time with God, to carve out time to be alone with Him daily and then to live moment by moment out of the overflow of fellowship with God. That's Christianity. That's it. Let me ask you a question. What's the most difficult thing to practice as a Christian consistently in your life? How about this? Time alone daily with God, right? That's it, right? Why is that? Let me tell you why. The enemy knows the deal. He doesn't care what you do as long as you don't be. He doesn't care if he has you seduced into drugs and alcohol living on the streets of Las Vegas or if he's got you seduced into coming to church 32 times a week to try to work your way into heaven. It doesn't matter. Either one is evil and a cheap counterfeit and substitute for what he's really invited us into, which is a love relationship with God himself. When I talk about spending time with God, I'm not just talking about a quiet time or God time. That's a part of it. But we don't leave God in a box. Now what I'm talking about is when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to the gym, when you go to the store, you live moment by moment out of the overflow of a fellowship relationship with God. And that leads to the last thing. Being a Jesus follower overflows into every area of my life. So it starts with an invitation where we're invited into relationship. It's all about intimacy where we spend time with God daily and live in fellowship with Him. And then out of the overflow of that, Christ in me begins to live through me in my everyday life. Let me take you back. Mark 3, one last time. Look at this. Mark 3, verse 13. He went up on a mountain. Some of those whom he himself wanted. What's that? He invited them into relationship because he wanted a relationship with them. And they responded. They accepted his invitation. Here's why. He appointed them so that they would, what we say, be with him. And that he could send them out to preach. And I know what some of you are thinking. Aha! I knew we'd get to the doing part. You missed it. Notice the they 
and the he. They only had one responsibility to what? He would send them out to preach. You hear the word preach and you think about what I'm doing up here on a Sunday, but the Greek word for preach is much simpler than that. It just means to announce, to make public. Here's what Jesus said. I'm inviting you into relationship with me because I love you and I want a relationship with you. And here's your goal. You be with me. And out of the overflow of you being with me, I will make my life public through you. It's all about intimacy. My, my mentor, I'm going to talk about him next weekend, Clyde Cranford. I'll tell you a little bit of the story. Listen to what he said in his book, Because we love him. He said, this is real Christianity. A spontaneous overflow of the life of Christ through us. Christianity is not you and me trying hard to be better people. Christianity is not you and I going through the motions of religious exercise. Christianity is not us working ourselves to be right with God. Christianity is a love relationship with Jesus. And as you and I abide in him and spend time with him, Christ in us begins to live through us. And only Jesus can live the Christian life. Only Jesus. So here's the, the last principle I want to give you. Everything Jesus desires to do through you, He will accomplish as the overflow of His relationship with you. Everything He wants to do through you, He'll do out of the overflow of His relationship with you. Here's what that means. There's a question that troubles a lot of Christians, and here's the question. What is God's will? You ever had that question? In a decision, a situation, a circumstance, what is the will of God? Listen, can I let you off the hook? You don't have to know the will of God. All you got to know is God. And then He will accomplish His will through you. You know what that is? Simple. That's why Paul said, don't be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. God's will is not some mystical, magical thing out there hidden away in the dark corners of the universe. Here's the will of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And to the degree that I'm living my life out of the overflow fellowship with Him, guess what? Christ in me begins to live through me. And guess what my life looks like? The will of God. I'm going to close with my story. So, 20 years ago, God taught me the stuff that I'm sharing with you in this series. I'd come to know Christ as a freshman in college, but for 10 years of my Christian journey, I struggled with the try to be a good Christian mentality. Tried to live up to the standard that I thought was the Christian life. And let me tell you what, I just failed miserably at it. God brought me to a place of real brokenness in my life. What's sad is I was already pastoring. So I was teaching people the gospel to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then I was piling up the commitments on them. You need to commit to do this and this and this and be you know, faithful in this area. Man, God brought me to a place of brokenness in my life and began to just crush me about this idea of performance. And 
allowing Christ in me to begin to live through me. And that's when God brought the guy I'm going to talk about next weekend. He brought Clyde Cranford into my life. And Clyde began to disciple me in simply being with Jesus. And he taught me this practice of reading through the Gospels, just looking at the life of Jesus, looking for stuff in Jesus that's not in you so that Christ can do that work in you and through you. And So 20 years ago, September 1999, I'm minding my own business. I'm sitting in my living room with a Bible open, reading the Gospel of Luke with no other thought in the world other than, man, I want Jesus in me to live through me and I want to be conformed to His image. And I read Luke 4, verse 43. Jesus said this, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also for I was sent for this purpose. As soon as I read it that morning, I saw some stuff in Jesus that wasn't in me. This passion for the kingdom of God. This passion for other cities to be exposed to the gospel. And Man, I just began to repent in my own heart about who Jesus is and who I wasn't. And began to beg Christ to, to demonstrate that in and through me. So much so I went and got my wife. And we literally knelt down in our living room in Memphis, Tennessee. And said, Lord, we don't know what you're doing. We just see some stuff in Jesus that's not in us. This passion for the kingdom, this passion for other cities. and So my wife and I knelt down and we said, Lord, yes. We don't know where, we don't know when, we don't even know what this means, but yes. Now let me be real honest. If you'd asked me that morning to pull out a whiteboard and start dreaming up some great plan of what we wanted to do for God... Let me tell you what one city in the world would have never made the whiteboard. <laughs> See, I'm originally from Alabama. People from Alabama don't go to Las Vegas, and if they do, they don't tell anybody. <laughs> I didn't even know real people lived here. We just said yes. Two weeks later, a pastor friend in Georgia contacted me. His name is Johnny Hunt. said, Vance, our church feels led of the Lord to start a church in the fastest-growing city in North America, Las Vegas, Nevada. And he said, God's put it on my heart. You're to be the pastor of that church. Now, listen. I would have never thought of this. I could have all day long, all week long, whiteboard think tank this thing to death and I'd have never come up with this I've enjoyed 20 years of the greatest ride of my life listen and it all started out of being with him one morning now listen to me here's what I've asked myself a whole bunch of times what have I missed out on Because so many times I'm so fixated on trying to do something for him. And you see, when you and I try to come up with something to do for him, guess what? If we do it, who gets the glory for that? We do. I can honestly look back on 20 years here and say, To God be the glory. Because listen... It's what he did. It's what he did. And listen, everything he wants to do in your life, he'll do the same way out of the overflow of you simply being with him. And that's what following Jesus is all about.
Let's pray together this morning. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that as only you can, God, you would take these truths and you would bring conviction. God, you would bring clarity. You would bring instruction. You would bring challenge. Lord, would you speak to us this morning? In just a moment, as you sit quietly before the Lord, in just a moment, we're going to stand and it's not a time to slip out early. It's a time to respond to what we've heard from God today. We're going to have some pastors joining me here along the front. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song so powerful that Teddy's chosen to lead us in. This morning, if you've if you prayed with me earlier and for the first time in your life have received Jesus, I'm going to invite you and we stand to come to one of our pastors and just say, hey, I, I, I gave my life to Christ today. What's next? Because we want to give you some information to begin this journey that you're on. Or maybe you're here and you didn't pray with me, but you're ready today to give your life to Christ. When we stand to sing, you come to one of these pastors and just say, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God. Secondly, there are a lot of you that are already Christians. Probably like me, you drift back into the mode of performance. Maybe what needs to happen for you today is you need to take your seat or use one of these altars here at the front and just come and get alone with God and make a fresh surrender of just being with Jesus. Stop trying to live for Him. Stop trying to to do something and just trust in Jesus. Just live in dependence on Him. So we're going to open these altars up. You can come. You can be alone with God. Just make a fresh surrender today. Listen, I have to do that often. The natural tendency of my flesh is to drift back into performance, and I have to just constantly say, Lord, it's not me, it's you. Or maybe you're here and you just need to pray with a pastor about something in your job, your health, your family, your marriage. We want to pray with you. You come. We'll pray for you today. God, as we respond in worship, Lord, would you have your way. I pray for those that need to be saved today or those that have been saved today that they'd come. Lord, give them the boldness to come. God, I pray for those that need to be alone with you, God, that they would just worship you and surrender. Lord, we love you today. To the name of Jesus, we pray.